You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Why are we growing so quickly? Because we're just having some fun. At least I am. As an investor and a broker, I want to know what's going on in our marketplace. I like to dive into the news and share that with you. Specifically today, what are Toronto homebuyers' preferences? Where's their opportunities here? We're going to look at StatsCan, Urban Nation, Veritas Investment Research, and we're going to have a little bit of fun along the way. As well, we're going to jump into the short-term rental market. Will it continue to plunge in our city? And what needs to change, practically speaking, in our real estate industry? If you haven't already, please subscribe to our channel and consider, consider leaving us a comment or a like. We like to have some fun. And uh, I know I am. And if we're going to be here, we might as well enjoy ourselves. If you can't find a laugh in my jokes... Laugh at me laughing at my jokes. <laughs> and so speaking of which, I hope you guys have had a fantastic week. I know we just had the snowstorm, which is wonderful when you got kids. Really opens up a lot of opportunities that we couldn't otherwise do with COVID being in isolation. I guess we're still in isolation. Terrible joke. Not scripted at all. Ignore that one. Moving on. <laughs> but I was building a snowman with my daughter on the front yard, which is pretty cool. I mean, she's so girlish. She's like, I want a snowwoman, daddy. Can we do that? And I had to explain to her the difference. There's a difference, honey, between snowmen and snow women. The balls. <laughs> Awkward, the snowballs. Awkward conversation, though. Awkward conversation. And then you get these two snowmen, because now all of a sudden I gotta do a man and a woman. And you know what they say? They just they stand beside each other and it's like, do you smell carrot? <laughs> Anyways, we're having some fun. Let's start talking about some of the preferences in our market. Where are people going? We're going to start around Canada. We're going to start there and we're going to work our way into our great city, the greatest city there is on the planet. New house prices in a NowToronto.com article rose 3.9% across Canada, according to a report. They're talking specifically about Statistics Canada and they said they found prices for newly built houses will continue increasing across the country. This is a forecast. The rise in price for newly built homes across Canada is barely being felt in the Toronto real estate market though. Because when we look across Canada, yes, it's at 3.9% and these house prices. However, when we look in Toronto, it's been up a mere 0.6%. We're talking new homes, by the way. So if it's up only 0.6%, but then we look and we look at the average home price is up 13.7% year over year. Clearly the pre-construction, the new homes, if you will, in Toronto are not performing at the same level as we see the retail, resale and in a similar way to as we see across the country. A little bit of a trend for you. In fact, Canada is doing so good. It is the largest yearly increase since June 2017. And there, of course, between low borrowing rates coupled with increased demand for single family, home buyers are looking for more space. It will continue to put upward pressure on new homes in the near term. Again, from Statistics Canada. Not the most reliable of sources, though. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> The agency noted that new home prices have risen 3.1% nationally since the beginning of the pandemic in March, which is interesting when you consider in 2019, the same period from March to October, it increased a mere 0.1%. So COVID has had an impact on new homes across Canada. Fun fact, right? And as investors, I think it's important that we know where people are going. It's kind of a trail that can indicate to us where we will see price growth. Just like, how do you find Will Smith in a snowstorm? You look for fresh prints. 
Statistics Canada said that COVID-19 has, quote, affected the housing market in many ways with buyers wanting larger homes. So then this begs the question, well, maybe that is why people are leaving the city. They're looking for something a little bit bigger. That is the trend. That is the preference that people have. I want something larger. And it's closer to work because work is what is work anyways. <laughs> I work from home. <laughs> So let's look more locally, shall we? So when we look and we dive into Toronto, I saw another article from the Globe and Mail. Developers target suburbs as condo demand in downtown Toronto falter amid pandemic. Suburban condo projects accounted for, listen to this, 65% of all launches in the Toronto region in the third quarter of this year, according to the latest data. So 65% are in the suburbs. This is not the first time suburban condo development has surpassed the city's, but marks the widest margin on record. There is an abnormal number of people running out and the developments, the condo projects outside the city are far outnumbering locally. As well, sales of pre-construction condos more than doubled, more than doubled in the suburbs compared with the third quarter of last year, while sales dropped 16% in the city of Toronto over the same period. Different directions. Home resale prices across all types of properties have risen at a faster pace in the regions surrounding the city. No duh. And one of the big points they say here is that the 905 are still affordable. Like if you're looking from a per, a per square foot in the 905, we're talking, what do they got? They've got 1275 in Toronto and they're still lower. For example, they say for the price of a pre-construction condo sold an average 915 in the 905. So you're comparing 1275 in Toronto versus 915 in the 905. So that price discrepancy is clearly leading to a lot of people saying, hey, why not? Not only is there a better opportunity for price growth because people are running from the city anyways, it seems safer in that way, but it's also more affordable. Win-win. Rent. So here we go. So what are the risks? And I thought, you know what? We're going to wrap this up. We get these kind of movements. Where are there risks? Where are there holes in our real estate market? And where better to look than better dwelling our friends? <laughs> So this is the article, Canadian real estate prices to fall up to 26%. So going directly against what Statistics Canada said, Better Dwelling is then saying that a Bay Street firm, specifically Veritas Investment Research, is now suggesting Canadian prices to fall 26%. Wait till you see Toronto, it's even worse. But we all know, Better Dwelling, they're just bitter. <laughs> they hate the idea of Toronto succeeding more than natives hate the snow. Why do natives hate the snow? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> because it's white and sails all over their land. <laughs> ah, a little rough, little rough landing there. Canadian real estate prices may take a big tumble, Bay Street researchers warn. Here's what they say, a prominent Canadian firm. So much credibility, we have to listen to them. The firm warned real estate price declines are unlikely, except in the event of a supply shock. Also giving them credit, they didn't even think it was going to be a problem. But now, <laughs> now they believe supply shocks may arrive soon and can send prices up to 26% lower. <laughs> the doom and the gloom. So what changed? What changed? What is Better Dwelling going to point to? They concluded, they say, months of inventory has the highest correlation with prices. Recently, the market has been tight, sending prices higher during a recession right? Be beating all odds. They believe that's about to change when mortgage deferrals expire and things get back to normal. But Bradley, you said, you said on the record that mortgage deferrals was a non-issue. Well, kind of, we did. 
But recognize that even if we did have mortgage deferrals, there's going to be a delay in that. So it's hard for us to say all of a sudden mortgage deferrals are a big challenge. I do think we dodged a massive bullet and I am not standing on the side of better dwelling. This is their argument. This is their argument. So what do they say? They're saying that people rationally would sell before they default. The firm's model, talking about this Veritas research, is based on a percent of mortgage payments deferral turning into inventory. So we've got all these people specifically 5%, 10%, 15% of them are going to sell. How many? We don't know. And that's why you kind of do, that's what economists do. They project and then they say, oh, whatever, there was too many. We, we don't accept responsibility for our predictions, <laughs> right? So, so what they're saying now is that these people are smart enough. They're not going to just default, right? And we've had people on our show talking about this for months. You guys are smarter. You guys are so much smarter than what these guys have to say. But anyways, we might as well talk because they're the ones in the news, right? So, one of the things that people would point to is if you're going to default, you'd sell first. Now, the only flaw that I can think of in that is the same, actually a Better Dwelling article talking about people underwater. If you bought at 5% down, you are now considered underwater. How are you going to sell? So in those scenarios, you're cornered. But let's say you're not in that scenario. You've owned your real estate for the last couple of years. Well, the sensible thing to do would be to sell before you default. And so the assumption here is that's what people will do. And how many do we get will dictate how much supply comes on the market, will dictate how much we fall. Because definitely we're going to fall. Apparently. <laughs> They're advising clients to watch, in response to this, the months of inventory closely. And we're going to look at months of inventory. We're going to talk about that. But months of inventory, you got to be careful. You could have week over week months of inventory. You can be tracking that very closely. But you can also have monthly or annually months of inventory. And if... The month of inventory is, in my opinion, a lagging indicator because it takes time. Not to mention it has flaws in that people take them off the listing, off the market, and will relist it and completely skews the idea of months of inventory anyways. But they're saying that is that is the way to know. That's the way to know. So let's look at Canada. Then we're going to look at Toronto. Canada, they say real price prices. Remember, direct opposition to what we just heard from Statsian. They're saying prices are going to drop 11%. 11%. Woo! It's not a lot of money. <laughs> is it? 11% of your wealth in your house? Well, Canadian real estate prices are expected to make modest to substantial declines. At best, modest. <laughs> the firm's model suggests potential price declines between 4 and 11% based on the assumption that inventory will rise as a result of deferrals, deferrals turning into listings. That's the assumption, guys. And that's a big assumption, is that every single person on deferral, which I believe is like such a small fraction now, call it 10 to 15% of what we originally saw in the banking system. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but we've tracked that. Let's say how many of those are actually going to default, right? How many of them will default? I don't know. But the assumption is here that all of them are going to turn to selling. Okay. Okay. And we're obviously taking no other factors into consideration here. We're just, we're single-minded. That's okay. Toronto real estate prices may drop up to 26% though. So you thought 11 was bad across the country. Let's look in Toronto. The firm expects a potential price drop between 15 and 26%. Now, could we experience a five to 10% dip in winter months? Is that possible? Seasonally? Yes. So I'm, I'm concerned by setting this precedent of we're going to drop 15 to 26%. I get messages, are we going to drop 30%? I get these all the time from you guys. I'm just worried that if we get too caught up in all of this, people are going to start to think, oh my God, we just dropped 5%. The sky is falling. And I don't mean the snowstorms, right? Skies, the real estate sky is falling. So let's look at some stats. Let's get some clarity 
on where we stand today. Activity, you'd be surprised, is up, but preferences shift to the suburb. I think it's important that we don't ignore the trend because if you just take one specific zone, you could say that is in, that shows us the market is falling. I own a condo downtown Toronto. The market sucks. Well, I own a freehold out in Oakville. The market is fantastic. Are they both wrong? No, they're both right, but they're not taking it from a high level. Really what's happening here is activity is up. We see that in the stats, but the preferences have simply shifted. So let's take an example. Scott Ingram on Twitter says 46% of 416 condos for sale right now are downtown. 46% are downtown. 63% of 416 condos for lease are downtown. 71% of furnished 416 condos for lease are downtown. Meanwhile, only 32% of 416 condos sold this year were from downtown. So we clearly see a disconnect in percentages. Is that going to change? You're going to see in a moment, maybe, and maybe sooner than you think. I also got a comment from Jay, and I think this is a fantastic way to kind of wrap up that point. He says this, suburban life is great. However, this idea of downtown condo living is doomed is just unfathomable. Unfathomable. <laughs> the infrastructure that downtown has, you know, public transit, hospitals, universities, offices, blah, 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 didn't just magically happen overnight. It took literally decades of development to build those and people choose to live in downtown to get the most out of these amenities. That's why downtown condo prices are down, but they didn't crash. Eventually COVID will be gone. The amenities will fully come back online, which will lure, lure people back to downtown. If you have a condo in downtown, just hold on to your property. Real estate is a long game. Words of wisdom. This is what big people are saying. You can say like, oh, I got my neighbor saying this and my mom is saying this. Trust me, I talk to a lot of successful people and none of them are writing off the downtown core. So I don't think you guys should be doing it either. If you have something better in mind, go for it. But don't throw what you've got in the toilet. <laughs> and the people who keep saying that downtown will freeze over and never have a nice day again, they aren't even legitimate fortune tellers, right? In my opinion, that's not a crystal ball. That's a snow globe. <laughs> All right, so let's look at rentals because rentals has a lot of overflow. So when we look at the near-term rentals from ZLAN on Twitter, GTA weekly rental active inventory update. Inventory declined week over week, which is possibly a sign of near-term inventory peaking. So we're used to seeing this trend at the end of the month. We get a lot of supply of leases that come off the market, specifically in the downtown. Well, what we're actually seeing now is that that kind of stop has happened mid-month because we're only partway through November. We haven't seen the last part. So... The question is, is, is this a leading indicator that maybe we're getting some stability in the rental market? Still too early to call, but definitely something we need to be paying attention to. And how does that translate to condo prices? Well, let's look at condo months of inventory because that's the most important thing week over week. Okay. Another Zland post. Condos months of inventory declined. They declined week over week. What does that mean? So if your inventory is declining, it means there's more stuff coming off, which means a tighter market. Months of inventory will go down right? Months of inventory is going down. Things are moving quicker. Again, they're saying, I'm expecting condo sector weakness to persist, he says, to the weak rental market. But recent months of inventory movement is pointing to the condo stabilization. You might be surprised to find out there is a very real chance we could see things. I know this is ahead of what the news is saying, but if this happens in the next couple of weeks, you guys are going to know about it on our show. It would be important to watch how this data evolves going forward. Is it too early to call? Yes, but it would seem we're getting some level of stabilization in the condo space. So pay attention. Don't dump that condo. <laughs> Invest accordingly though. 
right? Do you invest for equity? Do you guys invest for cash flow? I mean, leave a comment down below. Let me know what you do. But anyone who's familiar with investing, if you if you want to really scale a portfolio, so you've maybe got a couple rental properties, you want to grow it to the next level and have it be recession-proof portfolio with good returns, hit me up with a message. Let's do a JV, guys. Meanwhile, if some of you, you're like, oh, well, I just want to get into real estate investing. I love that you listen to the show. You got lots to learn. Go do it. Go figure it out. Build that portfolio. And then we'll talk. I want to talk to people who have a level of investment experience. But with COVID, we're no longer able to now hang out with our friends around the world having come to visit us. Like they just want to come say hi, but they can't. As it turns out, friends are like snow. <laughs> when you pee on them, they disappear. <laughs> who knew? Uh, I'm sorry. That was a bad joke. Some of these snow jokes are a bit flaky. <laughs> so let's move on to our next topic. Let's talk about short-term rentals. Talk about our friends coming to visit us. Well, Globe and Mail had a story this morning. The short-term rental listings continue to plunge in Toronto amid travel bans and new restrictions. And we've been tracking short-term rentals. They've got a bit of a target on their head. And so we're really wanting to pay attention to this and it's going to have a lot of repercussions in the condo space, especially between now and January. That's why it's still a little early to call any of these things. There's a lot of unknown factors between that and pre-construction. Well, in October, they say the number of available listings in Airbnb and Verbo in Toronto was down 38% from a year earlier. The number of active listings are down. So people are actually taking them off. And we also see a giant jump in the number of furnished units hitting the rental, long-term rental space. So that's the jump, right? And this is according to AirDNA, an analytic company that tracks the industry. If you're in Airbnb, you've probably heard of AirDNA. The number of listings booked for at least one night last month was down 63% from August, 2019. They had this cool little chart. And what I'm seeing is between July, 2019 to July, 2020, there's been at least half of them. Now, what's important in this little chart is it's called the way that what they're tracking is number of Airbnb listings in Toronto that received at least one booking, at least one booking. And that number is, is in half. So what they're saying is that half of them got no single bookings. So I think that this chart is actually way understating the problems that are being experienced in the Airbnb sphere. It's clearly an issue. If you run an Airbnb, maybe leave a comment. Let us know how that's going for you down below. And let's look at business travel, right? They say this winter could be worse than those in past since usually there's more business travelers in the winter months. Fun fact. This year, with companies still restricting travel for their workers, that demand may not materialize. So the winter time, I mean, now that we've got closures, which we'll get to in a minute, the winter time could be a problem. So here are the issues. The tourism industry has been decimated. The Toronto and Toronto has imposed long delayed rules that restrict short-term rentals, perfect timing to principal residences only. Some hosts have opted to find long-term tenants, a change that has been welcomed by the city. The city don't care. What do you, oh, there's an issue with rent rates coming down. You think that that's a problem for the city. That's beautiful news, music to their ears. At the end of October, there were about 12,200 units listed for lease in the GTA, an increase of 210% from a year ago. Wonder where they're coming from. They're coming from Airbnb. In the GTA, about 2,500 furnished condos were listed for lease in the third quarter, a 68% increase. There you go. There you go. So what comes next? Because this winter is going to be a very difficult Maybe Die Hard is going to be the Christmas movie of the year, <laughs> right? We have to register with the city. That comes next by the end of this year. You're on the clock, guys. You're on the clock. There's also this deadline where hosts must register by December 31st. But as of November 5th, 
Fewer than 1,200 applications had been received, a small fraction of the hosts in Toronto. So are people delaying registering? Maybe, maybe they just want to do it as a, a holiday experience. <laughs> or are they not going to at all? Right? Maybe they're either going to try and break the rules, which good luck with that. You're going to have a hammer come down on you hard. Or they're just going to say, I'm going long term or I'm going to sell either of which would have a severe impact on the condo market. Hopefully this makes sense. Hopefully the fact that people aren't registering is a pattern that you can think in your head that recognizes, well, then what are they going to do? Because more likely than not, that's going to have an impact on my condo's prices. And I got a question for Zaina here and they commented, I want to invest in downtown condo. Where can I find those discount condos? Talking about some of the videos where we talk about you get discounts. Well, where are the discounts? Airbnb buildings are a good start, <laughs> right? Tip with snow all around us and the Christmas tree up. There's only one thing left to hang the Airbnb friendly condo owners. <laughs> Sorry guys. Okay. Let's move on to some hot topics. Let's warm this up a little bit. I saw an article from Financial Post, Canada is leading the debt tsunami now sweeping the world. And guess what? It's by a long shot. Canada is now the global leader. We are a global leader. Number one, number one. A new report by the Institute of International Finance reveals Canada saw the biggest jump in non-financial sector debt this year, beating Japan, the US, and the UK. And if we're number one, everybody else. <laughs> Way to go. Canada, Japan, the US saw the biggest increase in debt to GDP ratio, ranging from more than 75 percentage points in Canada. A 75 percentage point increase. Way to go, guys. Debt to GDP. If we're going to do something well, if you're going to do it, do it well. <laughs> Terrible advice, depending on what kind of career your child wants. If the global debt pile continues to grow at the average pace of the last 15 years, our back of the envelope estimates suggest that global debt could exceed 360 trillion by 2030, over 85 trillion higher than the current level. The world is unified in its growth of debt and we're the leader, right? But we're not so different, I guess, across the world. That said, snow isn't really a problem in Muslim countries, but ISIS. <laughs> all right, Canada's at risk. Let's look at Canada specifically because we're able to pump out all of this national debt, but we also see some success at the individual level. That CERB has just transitioned the problem from the personal into the national. Well, maybe not because we saw Canada's me.ca article and they're speaking specifically of FP Canada cross-country checkup. They do this thing every two years apparently. And here's what they found. Nearly two out of five or 39% reported that their bank accounts cannot withstand a financial emergency, according to this report that was released. This is Canadians, guys. So although you've gotten all the CERB and our income levels are so high, we still have a lot of people that don't feel safe. Their bank accounts don't feel safe. The finding marks a significant increase from only two years ago when 33% said they couldn't handle a sudden financial shock. That number has now gone up, obviously. But you'd think if the income's gone up, it should have repaired that. Maybe not. These numbers would say otherwise, but not everyone is struggling, right? Like, like, look at me. <laughs> that sounds so conceited. Look at me though. <laughs> Till you hear what I got to say, right? Like I got this side gig right now, crafting toy models of the doors from Snow White. It's doing quite well. The pay sucks, <laughs> but I'm not lying when I tell people I make seven figures. <laughs> Oh, it's transitioned perfectly into my next article from Better Dwelling. Canada saw tens of thousands of six-figure earners apply for emergency income. Wait a minute. So there's flaws in CERB? Apparently. Apparently. Who would have thought? Somewhat surprising is that tens of thousands of relatively high-income Canadians applied for CERB. If 100,000 is relatively high income, then 
Woo! <laughs> All right. Now, this isn't a rich bashing piece to say they didn't need it. This tells us about a disruption in income or a delay some Canadians made paying themselves. This will alter, delay, or eliminate consumer consumption if the losses are. So, listen to this. So, is are they are they smart? Were they able to take advantage and get some money, or are they legitimately screwed, making six figures? If the losses are semi-permanent, then the buying power disappears from the economy. Like if there was a legitimate issue where they needed it, that would mean severe buying power. But something tells me that's not what happened here. If it was just delayed or paused, we just, I didn't make money those months. Come on, guys. I know you. <laughs> it explains why we're seeing income catapult so quickly again. That explains why our income levels are so high. I think that's the one. I think that's the one. And it should expect, therefore, if that is the case, a consumption boom. Consumption boom. I saw the numbers about Home Depot. They're making like a killing these days. This data point further adds to the excess saving trend we discussed already. So are people greedy or are they just being creative in order to qualify for CERB? Hopefully legally. But then we've also got 128,000 people. Sorry, that's the that's the six figures. There's also an, another large demographic of 823,000 CERB applicants who didn't even file in 2019. And this is a running story of like, how did they even do that? Clearly there's some issues. The bad news they say to wrap up this article, high income households just received a subsidized check. That's terrible. Damn rich people getting a subsidy check. I mean, they're the ones funding that, that pocket anyways. But anyways, the good news, the good news, here's the good news. They'll probably spend that money in the economy when it reopens. Dude, you just, that's a, that's like such a, I, <laughs> when I hear that argument, that is the argument in favor of successful businesses. That's what we've been saying forever. You can't have it both ways. You can't just be like, oh, well, hopefully they're going to spend it on the economy to get things out. Yeah, we've been saying that the whole way through. They're going to create jobs. They're going to boost an economy. But now it's convenient that they're going to be at least some good news. Where was that good news before when we've been talking about supporting businesses along the way? I, I mean, anyways, then we look at what's the result of this? We've got government spending. We've got people who are tight, but across the, across the whole planet, we got a dis debasement of the fiat currency. Well, Dan Tepiero on, on Twitter said, total collapse in the value of cash globally. Debasement of all fiat currency means cash is worth next to nothing. Expect a lot more debt issuance at such extremely low rates. You think Canada is alone in their low rates? No, this is a global thing. The supply of paper only going up. So what's safe? What's safe? They point to gold and Bitcoin. Fine, they're of limited supply. You know what else is? I'm not going to tell you. It's in the name of our podcast. All right, moving on. More provinces sign up for rent relief, so the benefits are not over. We just had a few more. In fact, right now we've got Ontario, Nova Scotia, Saskatchewan, and BC already collecting money from this rent benefit at, as Ottawa. But we've just got three more announced that are going to be brought to us by the House of Commons. People are taking more advantage of this federal rent assistance program, which was created as part of a national housing strategy, which was applied, uh, how many, two years ago, three years ago? Anyways, we're having, a, yeah, three years. We're, we're celebrating three years of National Housing Day you know, we're trying to put people in their home. What is good, though, is if something is going to happen to address housing issues, homelessness, it's got to come from the feds. And we've learned that through this show as well. Hopefully you guys would agree with that. So let's look at COVID. Okay, what's going on? So we got closures. We got over 1500 cases announced. This is going to continue. Also, breaking news. Snow White is down to six dwarves. Because Sneezy has been quarantined. And with all of these things, we have Toronto, we have Peel beginning lockdown today. Today's Monday. Today. <laughs> and obviously people went nuts over the weekend with shopping. 
And we know we're going to be in here at least 28 days, which puts us pretty damn close to Christmas. All right, let's move on to our last and final topic. I think this is a great one, actually. And the question is, is what needs to change in our real estate industry? It comes from an article at area code 416homes.com. A great article. I've been looking forward to the follow-up pieces because it's called Eight Things I'd Change as King of Real Estate. But this is only part one. They're going to do three. So I want to share with you the three they have today because I think they're quite good. And it'll teach you a little bit about behind the scenes of the real estate market. Maybe you're an investor and not licensed. And maybe you are licensed and you don't even know these things. You're going to learn a little bit here today. So what are some things in our industry that need to change? Number one is going to speak about RICO, the Real Estate Council of Ontario, the watchdog. They enforce the rules that real estate salespeople, broker and brokerages must follow. They are a broker of records. Worst nightmare. <laughs> the first thing he says is tell me how long the agent has been registered. Good idea. Very good idea because you're able to go and see how long their license is registered for, but you can't see their history. I like that idea. Another thing that they could be doing is sharing the discipline history should stay forever because you'll slap the wrist of a realtor. You give them a fine because they did something wrong. But after a certain period of time, it falls off. I think it was what? Seven years, five, six or seven years. So the point is, is that should stay forever. Also, great idea. If you exist to protect the consumer, then do that, right? Do that. Like, like there should never be like, you should never have a real estate agent that's able to, after a certain period of time, hide their mistakes. And we as consumers, I say we, but I mean those that aren't licensed, that are working with a professional, they should do their due diligence. And a great way to do that is go beyond the website. You can actually send an email to registration at rico.on.ca and get a full inquiry on the person that you're working for. Check their track record because they have it. Another idea was get tougher on sentencing. And it's really funny. He had this this one the guy that was sentenced five times. He got slapped with 4000 then 6000 then 10000 then 10000 and then at $22,500. But like these are small slaps on the wrist, dude. You've been hit. You did. You and you were did this six times, five times, and then he adds two asides here, which are really funny. He said, "Oh, in the last decision, required the agent to take an ethics course." <laughs> oh, maybe he'll learn. <laughs> but here's some fun facts about that person. Her husband was also implicated and fined on the first offense, but it's his only one in the last five years. And two, her website says with a straight face, "I am a trusted and well-trained professional." <laughs> <laughs> uh, do your due diligence. Know who you're working with, guys. That goes with any type of real estate or investing, right? There are over 56,000 TREB members currently. If this person was forced to leave the profession, I don't think the public will be lacking choice of other agents to use. <laughs> And number four, make decisions faster. And that just speaks to how slow they work. In fact, that $22,000 decision that took, they say, was four years. It literally took four years after it happened. So there's really big delays. And number five, make it easier to report a complaint. A perfect example is if you're in a multiple offer situation and you just won that bid, but you want to know, was there actually other bids? We do these form 801s, but you need to actually report that. You need to file paperwork in order to get that information. And it is a nightmare to do. It should be easy. It should just be an email to say, hey, tell me if I got another offer on the property. I want to make sure I'm not getting screwed. But all of these things, if you're going to do, if you're going to have people do business with you, make it easy. And they're not doing that. It's 12 to 15 pages, by the way, to figure that one out. <laughs> but if having Rico there is to protect consumers, it's like having a snowman without a carrot. Do you know what that's called? <laughs> exactly. Nobody knows. <laughs> all right. Number two is the land transfer tax. First idea, he says, is get rid of the provincial land transfer tax. 
That's a valid idea. There's two problems that they have with the tax. Number one, several studies show that it harms the market. The big reason being it prevents people from wanting to move. Like it's just a, it's a inconvenience. It's the cost is so high. I'm not going to do it. The other problem is that the brackets haven't been reestablished for nearly 30 years. Since 1989 until 2017, where they added one more tier. But other than that, there hasn't been any change. Meanwhile, the sale prices back in 1989, the average GTA home was $274,000. Something's got to be updated. <laughs> the other thing he suggests is, is remove the municipal land transfer tax. The funny thing is, is the city's 2020 operating budget is relying so much on $800 million in municipal land transfer tax revenues. How are you going to replace that? I don't know. Shouldn't have happened in the first place. It really shouldn't. It happened back in 2008. But as recently as 2018, remember when we had a challenge after 2017? Listen to this. They had an $84.5 million shortfall on the $818 million it forecasted due. So just a little hiccup in the real estate market causes a huge problem for the city. We shouldn't be that heavily reliant on it, right? And what when we talk about affordability as an issue... The condo, to buy a, an average detached condo, they said here, not even, a median condo, $585,000, they are saying that that condo is nearly half, the, the, the taxes, 16.4 is nearly half the $33,000 minimum down payment. So half of the amount for your down payment goes straight to the cost of a land trans municipal land transfer tax. That is, that is crazy. And so if we're really concerned about dealing with affordability, maybe that's a place that we can start. And the third and also a great point is pre-construction housing sales and specifically cancellations. And we've talked about cancellations. It's a big risk. A lot of people ignore if you're going to buy a new build. You, one of the things you're kind of like, they're just going to assume it's a big builder. I'm good. Well, listen to some of these numbers. In 2019, there were seven condo project cancellations representing over 2,100 units. And back in 2018, there was over 4,600 units. And in 2017, over 1,600 units. There are a lot of people buying these condos that are getting left out, hanging out to dry. It's not just the Airbnbs hanging, apparently, right? The other thing that they suggest, and think about it, you put $300,000 on a condo, and then two years later, that condo has gone up in price, which is an idea anyways. Now you're priced out. But can't even get back in again. And thanks for that. Thanks for my interest accumulated on it. Appreciate it, folks. Then we, another side is this cooling off period. How interesting is this? When you buy a condo, there is a 10-day cooling off period because you know they're, they're like hard selling you. They're tripping you into buying these things. So you got 10 days as a cooling off period. Well, that doesn't apply to freehold. Crazy, huh? Crazy. So they're saying that that consumer protection should definitely exist in the freehold market too. And hopefully that, I think that's such an easy change. They should be doing it right away. I hope you guys learned some stuff today. Um, I think that's it for now. I'm, it's, it's snowing. It's still a little bit of snow right now. My wife has been staring out the window for like two hours. So I should probably go let her in. <laughs> uh, anyways, I hope you guys are having some fun. I, I'm not sure, but apparently we're supposed to get uh, another five inches or something today. Or as the fellas out there would say, eight inches. <laughs> I hope you guys had some fun today. Take care and keep it real.